Hey everybody, welcome to Gego Lasso Pod. It's our Thursday preview and we have a great loaded episode. Mike Goodman with his nerdy numbers and some XG magic as we look ahead to Liverpool against Burnley. We also have Jimmy Conrad with all the betting tips, including that Liverpool-Burnley game and of course, uh, many games in Italy and Spain for Thursday. And Aaron West joins the show today. We also discuss Chelsea and Frank Lampard as their relationship looks to be definitely on the out. Gegolasso begins right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Gegolasso as we take part of our Thursday, Thursday preview. And it's a great pleasure for me to welcome Mike Goodman, uh, senior editor, uh, talent extraordinaire at CBSSports.com. Mike, how are you, buddy? Well, I don't know if I'm going to live up to that intro, but I'm doing good. <laughs> You will lift off to it. I know you will. Uh, everybody, uh, obviously, if you know and uh, are familiar with the pod, you know that Mike has been here before. And we thought we'd try something here in 2021. Mike, aside from many talents, is also an absolute geek when it comes to the stats and the knowledge. And it's really a pleasure to have. So we're going to do something here. Mike's nerdy numbers. And it's basically a real sort of determinate look at something very specific. And we're going to focus primarily on Thursday. And Mike, before we begin, I thought it'd be fun because we have listeners from everywhere from everywhere, all around the world, different languages, young and old. It'd be cool for you to just break down a little bit of the terminology so people understand exactly yeah, sure. what you're talking about. So why don't you break it down for us, uh, what you're going to talk about and some of the things that people may not be familiar with. Sure. So I think where I'll start is um, expected goals or XG, uh, which is kind of everywhere at this point. I think a lot of people maybe have seen this now, even if they don't know exactly what it is. And it's a pretty simple concept that I think everybody is instinctively familiar with. I think everybody who watches the sport has these moments where they go, oh, wow, he should have scored there. Or what a great chance. Or like, I, I mean, you know, it's a really classic discussion to be sitting around with a friend and you say, well, my team should have won. We had all these shots. And your friend says, well, no, my team should have won. Yeah, maybe we had less shots, but they were really good chances. And all that expected goals does is it takes that idea and it hangs some numbers on it. It's It measures a lot of different stuff, puts it all in a blender, and then looks at all of the chances and says, okay, this is, this is how likely these given chances are to lead to goals. It's really, really powerful in big sample sizes. So if, you, if you're looking at a team over the course of 5, 10, 15 matches, expected goals actually does a better job of predicting the future than actual goals scored. It is less precise when you're talking in smaller numbers, when you're talking about one shot here, one shot there. You know, so if you say the expected goal value of that shot was like 0.36, well, that, that's going to have huge error bars on it. It could be a lot more. It could be a lot less. But those error bars average out pretty quickly when you start piling shot on top of shot on top of shot. So that's that's basically what the idea of expected goals is. Perfect. So it's it's actually a really good way for fans, especially if a specific team, to really uh, also evaluate, uh, you know, how productive your That's club right. is. So it's both. It's it's really useful for fan for fans when you're looking at your own team and you know you want to say I think you know things are good now, but I'm a little worried that they might get worse or the opposite. Things are you know things we're we're kind of struggling right now, but I think things are going to improve. XG is a, is a very useful number in that context. It's also really useful when you look at maybe 
maybe you have a team like Aston Villa that's performing really well and you didn't necessarily expect them to, to look at those numbers and say, well, is this something that's a fluke? Is this something that's not going to continue? Or as is the case actually with Villa this season, are these numbers legit? You know, is what's happening now real? And then once you establish that, you can start to look at why is that the case, right? But the first thing that XG does is is it gives you a baseline to then do more work off of. Beautiful, beautiful. And I love the way you used to segue from my villa. That's excellent. All right. So let's talk about Thursday. Mike Goodman, uh, Liverpool face uh, Burnley. Uh, obviously, it's a big game for both. Burnley trying to fight and stay above the relegation. So now Liverpool, of course, trying to play catch up with uh, Manchester teams, etc. And make sure they protect their title. So what do you have for us with that specific game? Yeah, so I wanted to use this stuff to look at Mo Salah a little bit. Um now, Salah's leading the league in goals, so it seems a little weird to like, single him out and be like, should we be concerned w- w- with Mo Salah? But I'll, I'll take you through the process here of, of, of how we break this stuff down so I can I, I can explain why, you know, actually his performance this year raises a little bit of eyebrows. Um, so he's got 13 goals, and that's, that's really, really strong, obviously. Um, but what we do is not only do we look at expected goals, which is, uh, you know, in which he's also pretty pretty in line he's a little above it but we look at penalties because when you take and score penalties that's a little bit different than just scoring goals from play so often what we'll do is we'll strip out penalties when we look at how well a player is playing because what does it really say about Mo Salah if he's taking and scoring a penalty as opposed to say Sadio Mane is taking and scoring a penalty well what it says is that the manager decided that Salah or Salah decided that Salah gets to take the penalty more than anything about their specific skill at performing it and when you take out penalties, Mosala scored five penalties this year, right? So now all of a sudden we're down at eight goals. Okay, eight goals is pretty good, but now we're talking about fifth most in, in the Premier League as opposed to most. Okay, and now we'll go and look at the expected goals. And what we see with expected goals is most, Mo, Mo only has a little over five expected goals as compared to his eight goals. And that's a pretty big gap. And even if you want to argue that Mo Salah is an above average finisher, so he should score above his expected goal total, he's not really going to score this much above. And if you look at Salah's numbers last year and the year before, he doesn't really score above XG. His first season at Liverpool, he did. But the last two years, his, his goals and expected goals have been pretty in line with each other, which is what you generally expect, right? Um, so the fact that he has eight goals, okay, the fact that he has only five, it's, I think the number is the specific number is like 5.2 expected goals. Well, now all of a sudden you have to scroll kind of far down the list to find him. Like there are 14 other players who have more expected goals this year than Mo Salah. So when you start to layer these things in, well, now it looks like maybe Salah's not actually having that great a season scoring goals. And what, what we're seeing is the fact that he's, he's finished well, papers over that a little bit. And the fact that he's taken a lot of penalties papers over that a lot. Um, and so the question then is, okay, what's going on with Mo Salah? What's going on with Mo Salah? Okay, so basically this is also another rhetoric for Liverpool because, you know, when you look at their front line, the natural given Bobby Firmino, Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah, is it a question of they're just sharing responsibility of offensive threat or is it the fact that Liverpool itself is struggling offensively? That's right. And so now when you sort of look at Salah from a a broader statistical standpoint, when you don't look at just the goals, you look at everything that he's doing, what you can see is it, it may be less that he's 
struggling and more that he's being asked to do things other than take shots and score goals more this season than he has in the past. One of the more interesting things that you can see is that he's touching the ball a lot more. He's a lot more involved in buildup and passing play in the final third. His, uh, he's gone up from, he's gone up like almost 25%, which is a lot. Um, but he's actually touching the ball less in the penalty area than he had, than he did last season. So what you're seeing is a, a, like a rebalancing in what Salah is doing while he's on the field. He is passing the ball more. He is receiving more passes. He's actually playing safer passes. His, his pass completion percentage is going up, but his, his sort of like the, he's playing less dangerous passes. There are less sort of incisive attempts to split the defense, break the ball into the, you know, like break, you know, break defenses down and, and sort of pry them apart and a lot more safe passing ball recirculation still in the final third, but clearly it seems either by sort of intention or accident. And it's, it's always hard to pry apart, which is which that he is doing more of that and less shooting. And that's sort of what his role on this team has been this season. Okay. So let's talk about tomorrow very quickly. Then will he score tomorrow? <laughs> I'm going to say he is not going to score, but he's going to take a bunch of shots that are like, not you know he's going to take a bunch of shots with a lot of players between him and the goal right like Burnley's gonna Burnley always plays back they play defensive he's gonna get on the ball and maybe he'll take a bunch of shots but they're gonna be those kinds of shots that like have to find the goal through bodies okay so this really helps then when Jimmy joins us later and we discuss about the betting tips for the game overall beautiful stuff Mike's nerdy numbers Mike thank you so much buddy yeah thanks Luis I had a great time Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get Go Lasso Pod, our Thursday preview. We just had my good man. And look at this. Look at my all-star team today. We begin, of course, with Jimmy Conrad. Jimmy, what's up, buddy? Yo, what's up? How's everybody doing? Excited to finally work with Mr. Aaron West. So thrilled to be here today and to be working with this fine gentleman. Well, perfect introduction because uh, before anything else, Aaron West joins us today and it's his first partnership with Jimmy C. Aaron, what's up, man? What is going on? I'm excited for the debut of Club de Fútbol Los Padres. <laughs> the, 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 the duo. This, this is our squad right now. <laughs> this is the daddy episode. They'll be getting, talking about their children and I will keep showing off that I don't have any and I could just keep talking. <laughs> But you know what's funny, Aaron? One of the you things about wake it, up whenever you want, Luis. That's, that's yes, important. Yes. <laughs> you know what? I can, but because my wife's a public school teacher, I still get up at 5 a.m. and stuff. It's just crazy. Oof. But that's for another story. Uh, welcome, everybody, to our Thursday preview. Que go la so pod. Jimmy Conrad, Aaron West. We'll be talking about Liverpool Burnley, some games in Italy and Spain, of course. But we begin. I wanted to begin with these two, with Chelsea. After losing to Leicester City, a very good Leicester City, by the way. I think a lot of conversation about Chelsea, but we should give a lot of credit to Brendan Rodgers right now uh, as we tape top of the table. Uh, but Chelsea, Frank Lampard, 
Uh, big issues now. There's reports maybe Thomas Tuchel is interested, maybe offer the job. We don't know. We've heard even from many reports, including The Athletic, it's not if, but when. Frank Lampard leaves his job. Let's begin with you, Jimmy. Uh, Chelsea, another loss for them under Frank Lampard. How do you see this uh, evolving as the weeks go on? Yeah, I'm going to start by saying that during their run, they probably weren't as good as people thought they were. And now that they're losing, they're probably not as bad either. I just think that they lack identity. And I feel like they move the formation around a lot. He, he's not consistent in who he's playing and where. And I think that's lending itself to maybe the players not really knowing uh, how to build off of anything. Because if you continue to change formations and, and starting positions for players, then then how can they ever build any rhythm or, or rapport with each other or knowing in those tight moments? I mean, these are, these are high pressure games and you have to know where guys are going to move in a split second. And if all of a sudden they're in one, one spot, one game, and then the next game they're not, you can't build off of anything there. So I really actually want to know what the hell they're doing to training. Like, what are they working on? Because it doesn't seem to, to be translating to what's happening when the games really do kick off. I, I wonder, and, I, and I, I like Frank Lampard, and I want this to work for him, but it's just not clicking at the moment. And because of Chelsea's history and Roman Abramovich having a itchy trigger finger when it comes to managers, his days could be numbered. And, and there's a lot of talk, you know, I've read some articles in the athletic in particular saying that they want somebody German. Like, I guess that's the trend now. We'll get a German manager. Uh, and, and I don't think it's going to be too cool. I think they're going to go after Ralph Husen Huddle uh, at Southampton, potentially. Uh, I would go look at uh, Julian Nagelsmann potentially at uh, RB Leipzig. And then obviously Ralph Ragnick, who was going to go to AC Milan, but fell back. He was kind of the guy that, that really inspired all these managers that I've mentioned. So, at tough times for Chelsea, but again, I just want to, for everybody that's super emotional about the Blues, I wouldn't get too high with the highs and I wouldn't get too low with the lows. They just need to get a result, get their confidence back, and they've got enough talent to, to make a good run. Yeah, so very good points there, uh, Jimmy Conrad, especially about Hassan Hutu. I didn't think about that. I think, you know, somebody that's uh, obviously experienced as well in the Premier League, maybe, but obviously from what you're saying, it's more of a when rather than it's an if. Aaron West. Frank Lampard, Chelsea, the project right now, not working out. Uh, what do you, what do you make of all this? Um, I'm not really surprised to be honest. I, I think, I, I don't think we ever really saw that Frank Lampard necessarily had the pedigree to be a top tier manager. Like he, he did well at Derby, but that's, that's championship. Um, he was a fantastic player, but we know that does not translate to being a manager. It has absolutely nothing to do with anything. Um, I don't think Frank Lampard is a bad manager by any stretch of uh, imagination, but I, I don't think I've seen anything from him that's like, oh, wow, this guy is super, super special. So in that regard, I don't think anything is surprising with Chelsea. I think what we've seen is like a lot of kind of square pegs, round holes, like very often. It, like Jimmy said, there that that lineup changes constantly, and I think it's because he doesn't necessarily know what his strongest first eleven is. He doesn't necessarily know how to mix these players properly to get the best out of them. Uh, I think Timo Werner is the prime example. Um, at RB Leipzig, we saw him kind of he did kind of shift between being a striker or a winger, but that was very purposeful. Like when he played as a winger, it was kind of with Yusuf Poulsen running off him as a focal point. If he played as a striker, there was somebody, usually someone along with him that he could run off. Uh, and I think Timo Werner is specifically, you you see like his confidence is gone. He's not used in the way that he's, he's properly, he's, he's used to being used. He's, he's, he's not comfortable. Kai Havertz, I think Kai Havertz is a little bit of a different issue because he had COVID. 
Uh, and we have no idea what the the fallout from that is for anyone. So like for him, his 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 uh, form for me is a little bit, we can kind of put that to the wayside because he had a life-threatening disease. Uh, and he's also settling into a new co- uh, country and, and league. But I think just overall, we've seen a lot of just players that don't look comfortable. They don't look set. They don't really n- seem to know what their job is. Exactly like Jimmy said, they're just moving around too often. And I, I, I don't, what are they doing in training? Like, what is the way that Chelsea plays? Like, we don't know. We don't, a lot of managers, it's like, even to a fault. It's, they do what they do and they don't change it. Jose Mourinho does what he does. He, we know what he, we're going to get out of him. But at least his players know what they're going to get out of him. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think Chelsea players know what Frank Lampard wants from them. And I think that's an issue. Well, we know what Chris and Pulisic's doing after training. We know that much. Uh, oh <laughs> How much time do we have to talk about that? Holy oh, too good. This, too this good. Is the, this is the Pulisic pod, right? This, this is, is the Pulisic pod. You, you will know from me in this podcast, I am not, uh, anytime I get an opportunity to slander on that boy. Uh, but, uh, but listen, a, a, few, a few points, I think, uh, because we had Jack Harrison on the podcast a few weeks ago. And when I asked him about training, he gave you literally every explanation of every single minute under Bielsa. He was just like, this is what happens on Monday. This is what happens in the first few hours. Just, there was a specific. So to your point about like, and Jimmy's about what's going on in training is very valid. The other one that I'll say is Kai Havertz. I, I know he went through COVID and he's 21. He's so young. But even before then, I really think he's been so badly managed Peter Bosch said it himself. Yes. This is a player that lives in the box. He li- he's almost like a striker, right? He just wants to be in that box and really attack. Actually, kind of like how Frank Lampard was when he played. And the way that Lampard is using him is completely uh, uncalled for, I think, from a managerial perspective. I, listen, Dude, I, re- I mean, here's the thing. I, yeah. You can fry him up a little bit more for that because because I wanted to give Kai personally a little bit of a break, but, but we can throw Lampard a little bit more under that bus before COVID, yes. Like you said, he was sticking Kai Havertz out on the wings where he is not effective. Yes, he's pacey. Yes, he can run with the ball. But his best work at Leverkusen came like ghosting into the box, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. finding space. Either as, He played sometimes as a striker, but it was as a false nine often. Uh, just with the freedom to roam and create. And he's so good on the ball and good at finding that space. I'm not going to say like Thomas Mueller-ish with a, as a round Deutscher, but he just, he's so good at finding pockets of space, usually through the center. And when you stick him out wide, he's just like, guys, what are, what am I supposed to do out here? Like, it, come on. <laughs> so I, I want to jump in and just say, because I agree with you on the Havertz thing where he's been playing out of position. And, and for everybody that didn't see it, Luis had a great tweet yesterday saying that Lampard broke he broke uh, Kai Havertz. Like he's just done. He's he's not going to come back from it. And I think there's there's two things I want to say. One, there's there's an example of this, right? You see Donny Van de Beek at Manchester United. Ole Gunnar doesn't want to throw him into it. He wants to ease him into that transition, and has used Fred and, and Lindelof as, as some examples of why they've done that. And then you have uh, Tangi Ndambele, excuse me, from Spurs, who ran through the same thing, right? He struggled a little bit. Maybe it's under playing under Mourinho, who is obviously a different ball of wax and demands a lot. If you're not ready for that, that can be probably uh, pretty life-changing and also coming into a new country. And now you see Ndambele and the guy scored ridiculous goals. The one this past weekend. Wow. Take a bow, my, my friend. But I, I, I want to go back to the transfer policy here. They just bought players to buy players. I mean, what was actually the yeah. plan? You know, yeah. you, you have now luxury buys. You have Zayek, who's excellent. I, I like his game a lot. So you go out and buy Kai Havertz too? Like, 
you don't really need Kai Havertz at that point. You you needed and some, you have some Hudson Odoi chilling. Yeah, exactly, this. dude. I mean, yeah, he was hurt and he's coming off an Achilles, and there's going to be some question marks or whatever. But but you have all these players, and now you have this surplus of goods, and you're trying to make them all fit, and you're probably all trying to make them happy behind the scenes and placate egos and all that, and it's just not working. And and there's a lot of talk that last year they were better because they knew who they who they were, and they weren't trying to pretend to be anybody else. Now I feel like they're trying to pretend they're better than they actually are, and but they don't know how to get there because even though they have the talent, they're just not all on the same page. It's, it's very complicated. And maybe a, a manager that has more of a, a presence and an identity of how a team should play could work this out. But even so, you still have all these, these luxury buys and how do you make it all? I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. A major topic of conversation for Chelsea fans yesterday was also, you know, loaning out Ross Barkley to Aston Villa was perhaps not the best decision. But, you know, that these are just another type of examples of how it's not just about Lampard, but it's also about the transfer policy. Because, you know, you see all the richness up front. What's going on at the back, even with Thiago Silva, right? All right, Aaron, let me ask you this and then Jimmy after you. All right. So Lampard's gone for you. Uh, who would replace him? Um, I, I really, really like uh, Jimmy's suggestion of Ralph Ronick. Like he is the guy uh, that like so many of those managers in Germany and, and beyond cite as like their, their inspiration for that high pressing style that like that quick ball movement, the really attractive, like pressing, like high energy thing, the style of play that we see today. And, and like, why not go get the guy that started it? Like, <laughs> we know he can manage. Yeah. Just go get the guy that can do it. Um, He's like Bielsa. I, I, he's like a German Bielsa in some ways. A hundred percent. Like, so like, he's your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Like, that's, <laughs> Ralph like, yeah, exactly. that's the guy. So just go get him. <laughs> I like yeah. it. Jimmy? I, I, yeah, no, I think Ragnar would be a good one. I think that uh, he was going to go to AC Milan and then Stefano Pioli, uh, you know, got Zlatan. I think Zlatan actually helped maybe change that culture and mind uh, mindset and attitude and swagger a little bit more than Pioli, but it's all kind of clicking now. And, and they made the right decision by keeping him. And now Rangnick's been on the, the, the sideline. Yeah, he'd be a great hire. And, and I think that he would be a nice stopgap maybe for the next two years. And then you can bring in one of his disciples to take over, right? You can bring in a Julian That's Nagelsmann. That's Chelsea manager's mess anyway. Exactly. Anyway. Like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I, I don't think we'll see Tuchel, you know, I don't think he's the right fit for this. I think that he has a history of kind of clashing with the front office and the board and all that. And that's, I don't, Chelsea's been down that path many, many times. I don't know if they want somebody else, I mean, unless they're attracted to that, then Tuchel's their guy. But, but uh, you, Nagelsmann might be a few years away from really, maybe they think he's a little too young, but Rangik would be a great one if they could steal uh, Hazen Hoodle from, from Southampton. They should look at that too. Yeah, that would be difficult, but that would be uh, amazing. Here's one for you, Marcelo Gallardo. Let's steal him from River Plate. Wow, just nice shot. Right I like that. I like How that. cool would that, that be? Would, that would be cool. <laughs> it would never happen, but my God, that would be. It would never happen, but it would be really, it would be crazy. I mean, can we just throw Jesse Marsh in there too then? Why not? Yeah, you know, why not? Yeah, why hey, not? why not? That's not that unrealistic. I mean, we're missing the most obvious pick. Like, and he's got the board behind him. Conrad in. <laughs> exactly. Conrad's in. <laughs> Lampard's out, baby. I, I was waiting oh, for you guys oh. to see it. I appreciate you bringing well, that up. Well, Conrad wants Bruce out, then he wants to be with Newcastle <laughs> up on time. So we'll see about that. Uh, when we come back, we will preview Liverpool against Burnley and all of the action for Thursday around the continent. Stay right here. Welcome back, everybody. Get got lasso pod. Jimmy Conrad, Aaron West. We were just joking about uh, Ben uh, Chilwell, who uh, looks like he's 67 years old, but he's really <laughs> in his 20s. Well done, Aaron, on that one. Uh, but you wanted to say something quick on ben, uh, on Chilwell there, Jimmy. I did. I, I just 
wonder what he's thinking because he left Leicester to go to Chelsea, I assume to, to join this dream team and whatever else they were being promised to come over from one blue team to the next. Brendan Rodgers had to be bummed to lose him. Obviously a very experienced defender and Leicester's now on top of the table and Chelsea is struggling. So I kind of wonder what he's thinking at the moment. And I, if I was one of his former teammates, like James Madison or whatever, I'd be texting him like, dude, you made the wrong decision. Oh man. <laughs> oh, all the time. After every single After result. Every right match. Here, man. He's, just I turn the knife. Just turn nice, the knife though, a little bit it? more. Yeah, but guys. I, I London's still nice. <laughs> yeah, but guys, Ben Chilwell's so old. He doesn't have a cell. He's probably still using the flip flop because he's so true, old, right? True, true. <laughs> they send him telegrams. Yeah. Can <laughs> we shout out Lester really quickly, though? Because they're just consistently doing the de- making the decisions that every large club should be making. Like, basically, every player Lester, someone said this on Twitter, like, every player Lester has signed in the last like two or three years, like United sort of signed, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. They're, they are making such good decisions. They're such a well-run club. So just shout out Lester overall. Absolutely. Yeah, and I love the way uh, what James Madison said yesterday after the game. He's like, you don't play for Brendan Rodgers unless you're willing to do the dirty work, unless you're willing to work your butt off. And shout out for me, for James Justin, one of the best players mm-hmm. in the Premier League. Well, he wouldn't play. He wouldn't have. He wouldn't be starting if if, uh, Chilwell didn't go to Chelsea. So correct. So there you go. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. All right, let's get to (laughs) Liverpool against Burnley. Liverpool, of course, looking to play catch up with Manchester teams, of course, and defend their Premier League title. What do you have for us here, Jimmy, from betting tips perspective? Yes, as always, I uh, put on my trunks and went swimming in the warm waters of William Hill to find some good value for you guys. I like the under. You guys know I don't like the under, but under two and a half goals is plus 170, and I'm going to tell you why I like it. Burnley have scored nine goals, nine goals in 17 Premier League games. That is embarrassing, embarrassing at the highest levels, okay? On the flip side, Liverpool haven't scored in three straight Premier League games. Last time that happened was in 2005. I don't know what's going on with them. We can get into that in a little bit. Before this little kind of slump happened, they scored seven goals on eight shots against Crystal Palace. Since then, they've scored one goal on 62 shots. So uh, clearly not being uh, as, as clean in the final third as they could be. Burnley, though, defensively have, have only given up 22 goals in 17 games, uh, which is better than Manchester United, who are near the top of the table, right? So that's pretty good. They've only scored one away goal in their last seven, Burnley, and that was Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang that actually scored it. So the last time they actually scored an away goal was October 3rd. So what I'm trying to tell you guys is I don't think there's going to be a lot of goals. Burnley is very stout defensively. They know that they're probably going to have to make this a 0-0 at half, right, and try to maybe get a set-piece goal in the very end, very Sam Allardyce, West Brom style. And, and then Liverpool, they have to score early, I think, to unlock Burnley. I don't know if it's going to happen. They're clearly lacking confidence. So I like the under two and a half goals. I can see 2-0 Liverpool here. If you have the under two and a half and Liverpool winning, it's plus 270. So if everybody that doesn't know, you bet 100 to win 270, or you can bet 10 and win 27 bucks, however you want to slice it. And then even though he's on the second longest scoring drought of his Liverpool career, most Salah to score in Liverpool to win 1-0, 2-0, or 2-1 exactly is plus 375. If Sadio is your horse, the same exact score lines and him to score Liverpool to win is plus 480. I don't know. Every time I pick Salah, Mane scores. Every time I pick Mane, Salah scores. So I'll, you guys can flip a coin and decide who you like. But that's what I'm looking at right now. Yeah, and you know that it's going to be a Jordan Henderson winner now. After all. <laughs> right, but, thanks for that. Well, there's really, uh, well, no, this actually complements everything that Mike Goodman was saying with his XG uh, ratio with uh, Mohamed Salah. Uh, you know, it's going to be a tricky one. Two storylines, Burnley trying to stay above relegation, Liverpool trying to defend their title. Aaron West, how do you see this game? Um, I think it's going to be ugly because literally <laughs> every time Burnley step on the pitch, they make it ugly. Like, it, 
they're one of those teams that every time they stay up, like no disrespect to Burnley supporters at all. It's just like, God, we're going to have to watch them play 38 games. That's game. how I feel about Newcastle. So you keep going. Keep going. <laughs> it's just like, you're just, it's just pure like survival. That is what they are when, when they step on the pitch. It's just pure survival. And I, I respect it. I just don't want to watch it. So I do not see there being goals in this one. Um, Liverpool have struggled with, with injury, with form. I think they're they're at that period where they had they've had a lot of success, they've had a lot of team success, and part of why they struggle a little bit so far is because of, so, some of those guys that have been such so team driven are like I, I want to score a few more goals on my own, like a Sadio Mane or a Salah, where they might make that extra pass, they're not making it now. Uh, I I think. Um, they're still Liverpool. <laughs> I don't think there's, there's any question that they're still Liverpool. Uh, even with all the injuries you see, I think conversely from Chelsea, like you can see exactly like they're what, what uh, a philosophy that they have that they just bring in youth players. They bring in guys that never play. And it's, it's pretty much still the same. Like there's a clear philosophy that there's, you see that they're doing stuff in training that everyone understands. So I, I, I definitely, I would, I would call a Liverpool win on this one. I would probably say, I'm going to say one nil, um, but yeah, Liverpool is such an interesting case because they've been so hit with injury and with obviously everything going on with, with COVID, um, absences just, but they just keep chugging along and they keep getting results somehow. Um, I, I really like Klopp as a manager. I could do a little bit less with some of the complaining overall, but just, I love him as a manager. <laughs> you would, I think he's one of those guys that you point at and say, I would love to play for that guy. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's very high on that list for me. If I was a player, I would say, I want to play for that guy. Yeah, no, he's a welcome addition to the Premier League as well. And I think from some, some of the things that both of you said, it's, there's something to be said about the fact that I think Liverpool's player of the year right now is Fabinho, right? Somebody that's just been trying to cover that ground. Listen, a little bit on Burnley, just, I, I know they're horrible to watch and they're so like, oh my God. But I don't want to fully criticize Sean Dyke because he has been given nothing. <laughs> for so yeah, many years he's, like, he's doing his job he's absolutely his job. nothing he's, this is a manager what he has to do <laughs> this is a manager who literally gets nothing every single transfer window and he's just literally he's like running around with like band-aids just trying to like protect like his cast like so I, i'm with you 100 percent uh they're not pretty to watch but it, it's not totally on sean dyke he's just it's, it's a championship team trying to always just stay in the, in the premier league but i agree with your score Line, I think it's going to be one nothing, a very, very slim win. Uh, Jimmy, what's your final score prediction? Did you type? Yeah, I said 2 0 to Liverpool. That might be uh, a little more optimistic. Maybe 1 0 is the way to go. And, and I agree with, uh, with Aaron on that. I'm just looking at Liverpool's schedule. After this Burnley game, they play against United again in the FA Cup. Then they got Tottenham, West Ham, Brighton, which should be okay. Then Man City, Leicester, RB Leipzig, right? So this next three weeks could really determine a lot of how the rest of the season is going to go for them. And, and to, to Aaron's point, I also have been very impressed with the fact that despite not having their full team for pretty much most of the season, they still have that character. They still have that identity that we, I, that, that those people haven't come in and changed anything. They just made the system a little bit better. Diego Jota in particular, who's really taken his chances and been a special player. They need to get him back and healthy. Uh, I think maybe to inspire the other front three that may be uh, slacking a bit, but but yeah, this next three weeks is massive for Liverpool. So keep an eye on them and, and the results. 
Yeah, no, very, very good point. All right, let's uh, focus on other games in Europe. We have some games in uh, Copa del Rey, La Liga, uh, Italy. Where, where are you taking us, Jimmy? I'm going to go Lazio Parma in the Copa Italia. Uh, Lazio, for me, are sometimes good, sometimes bad. But they got a couple <laughs> clean sheets in a row. Uh, they, they beat my Roma. Voice. <laughs> I, yeah, that's quote-unquote analysis, hashtag analysis here for everybody. But they absolutely slapped around uh, their biggest rivals, Roma, last week, 3-0. Very impressive performance. They have Chiro, the hero, Mobile, who scores goals for fun. You know, you think you got him, and you don't, you know, and he takes all their penalties as well. So I like him. I'm going to throw him into the Jimmy specials, I like to say. Parma are coming into this. Uh, they're winless in their last nine in all competitions. They're really struggling. They actually lost to Lazio 2-0 last week in the league. Um, so it, it's tough uh, to see this only going one way. I think Lazio is going to do the business. I just don't – I think this is Parma. So this is what I want to take into consideration. This is Parma's only chance to win a trophy, right? They have to win a cup competition. So as you, when you know that as a player, you kind of approach these games, I think, in a different way. Lazio could relax a little bit because they just beat them uh, 10 days ago. But – Lazio or Lazio, and I think they have too much quality. I think uh, Simeone and Zaghi wants to continue the good trend that they're on. So I like Chiro the hero to score, Lazio to win 1-0-2-0-2-1 at plus 400. I think that's really good value for, for, for that team and that game in particular. Yeah, well, Parma, uh, like you said, you know, uh, second to bottom of the table. The, the cup is really everything that they're going for, as well as obviously staying in Serie. Uh, before I ask Aaron, uh, what's the other game in Spain? There's one, there's a good one in Spain, uh, Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, Abar taking on Atletico Madrid. And, and what I find interesting about this, and this is one of the games and hands that Atleti have at their disposal. So they need to win to continue to put pressure on uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona to have to keep up. Uh, Joao Felix is not probably going to start this one. Uh, Diego Simeone, whether you love him or hate him, I love him, but, but he is not afraid, right? You know, we've seen him grab his cojones before after big goals. He's not afraid. He's got massive cojones to, to sit one of his best players if they're not playing well. So it's interesting. Kevin, Kieran Trippier will not be playing in this. His appeal uh, got, uh, or didn't get uh, held up. So he's still going to be suspended for this. I think they're going to play a three, four, three, which I like seeing actually from Atleti. That's very non, not Diego Simeone esque. And so they're going for it. I think they're pushing forward, trying to commit more numbers going forward. Angel Correa has been a revelation. I think playing centrally has really changed his outlook. He used to put out wide a little bit. Uh, Carrasco will be pinching in a little bit. Luis Suarez, obviously. Musa Dembele, their new signing, isn't going to be fit for this one, unfortunately. I'd like to see him in the red and white, but we're going to have to wait on that. Abar probably don't have enough, ultimately, uh, to do the business. They're not very good at home. And even though they're hosting this one, they won their first home game uh, recently against Granada. They don't score very many goals, and uh, they're not very good. I, I su suspect that Atleti, even though they should win 3-0, will do a Diego Simeone special and win 1-0. Love it. Love it. All right, Aaron, uh, from those games, anything that uh, you know springs to mind for you uh, in, in Europe, Italy, or Spain? Um, yeah, in both of these matches, honestly, I am a big, big Sergei Milikovic Savage fan. I just, like, anytime he steps on the pitch, I just really, really love watching him. He's like uh, – he just like you look at him and it's like oh he's probably just a, like a destroying center mid right like he's a defensive mid and then like you watch him on the ball and it's like ballet uh so i just love watching him just cruise through uh, midfield aaron um, really quick are you surprised he's still with lazio are you surprised he hasn't been purchased yes at some point? i why is he still there i don't know i don't know <laughs> I, I think it's largely because like lazio really value him and have like slapped a big price tag on his head and have said like it's going to be 80 90 million to buy him but 
like the kid is i think he's what 25 26 he's 25 yeah coming into his prime built for any major league physically technically tactically like mentally i think he's just ready for the next step and someone needs to come rescue him man i love him um on that lefty side of things, I want to talk about Luis Suarez. I think that man has come into this season with, like, a massive chip on his shoulder. He got ushered out of Barcelona. His best friend, Messi, was like, hey, please don't leave me. I'm, <laughs> I'm so lonely. Please don't leave me. <laughs> and he's gone, to, he's gone to Madrid and just banged goals in, just kept banging them in. Like, he is not – last year he looked – ever like, I – person who was like all right i think he's done at barcelona his legs look done like i don't i don't think there's a place for him anymore it's time for new blood and this year it's like he's a, he's legitimately like i think he and diego simeone just like sit and drink mate before <laughs> and after training and just go over they have like a list on their wall of like people they hate and like a list of their gripes that just energizes him so much yeah, for sure. uh, and it's just been really fun to watch luisito just ball out this year and just in the face of all the haters. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think there's something to be said about Atletico Madrid right now, by the way, which is like, you know, they're top of the table, two games in hand. And I think that's the kind of mentality actually, or the, sorry, the kind of uh, performance and statistical level right now that Simeone doesn't want. He likes to like, you know, be in the thick of it, maybe even on points with somebody. So he's probably not used to this right now. So he has to keep that mentality of saying, no matter who we face, no matter what team it is, no matter what opponent it is, no matter how difficult it is, we have to just keep going and pretend that we're like sixth with like, you know, three games over and we are all injured, et cetera. And I think that it's going to be really interesting, especially when the Champions League returns and they have to face the aforementioned Chelsea. What do you think, Jimmy, in terms of, you know, the way that you see it? I think that Dembele uh, arrival is a really good one. Uh, yeah, you know, very good signing there. I think the reemergence of Thomas Lamar in particular, obviously he was very hyped when he got purchased from Monaco and really never found his footing. But now with this new kind of change in formation, he, he's getting in better spots. He's looking to combine a little bit more. He seems to be enjoying himself, right? When we look at Chelsea, we look at teams that are struggling. You don't see any joy in how they're playing, but when things are going well, you can sense the joy. And I think it lets you have that in spades. And Thomas Lamar is a good example of it. And in fact, he's playing so well, Joao Felix is kind of surplus goods to that starting 11. And I think it's a bit of a wake-up call for Joao Felix not to just rest on your laurels, even though he had a great start to the season. So yeah, I really like Atleti right now. Obviously, we're talking about the attacking side, but defensively, they're very stout. They've given up six goals so far in the, you know, I don't know, 18, 19 games, which is ridiculous and kind of what we expect from a Diego Simi, Simeone managed team. And, and now that they can find that balance, and we haven't brought up Manchester City today, but City's starting to find that balance of being good, very good defensively, locking things down. But now, can we also be good on the other side of the ball? And I think Atleti have really started to find that maybe a little bit earlier than, than City. I do worry, though, because I didn't like their Champions League form at all uh, at Let's See. They did what they had to do, and they got second in their group, and, and they got by RB Salzburg on that last you know, match day to, to get second. But Bayern Munich slapped them around, and they've been good since that 4-0 game, ultimately. I think that was a good uh, wake-up call that they need to get better and kind of improve their tactics because they struggle against German teams for whatever reason. But they need to improve that, and, and uh, I think they will. You know, I think uh, once they get into the round of 16, they could relax a little bit and over two legs. Over two legs? I would not want to face Atletico Madrid. I, they're just going to be so hard to beat. Yeah. AW, yeah. Do, you, do you see them winning La Liga? Uh, I do. I think so. I think they have what it takes. I think they're deep enough, finally. Uh, they've got enough quality across the 
board where you can sit a Joao Felix and it's fine uh, because you have players that are stepping in. You you have a player like uh, Hermoso in the back who's who's been able to step in and I like love say. Him. Him, say Jimenez goes down with injury. Savage goes down with in, injury. They have plenty of cover to go back to a back four. They have the tactical flexibility and understanding across the team to play in a bunch of different ways. And I think I would say like the most like emblematic player for this of this team for me is Llorente, Marcos Llorente, because like he's like he's just a complete player. He he the, uh, Simeone sticks him up front and he scores goals. He sticks him in midfield and he does the work tracking back, getting forward. Uh, he's like, I feel like every single year Atleti has one of those guys. It's just like, oh, he's come out of nowhere and he can do it all. It was like, it was Koke. It was Saul. Um, it was Thomas Parte. It's, they always have these guys that are just so good on both sides of the ball. And I think Llorente is like the new one that just is like the face of what Atleti does that they are so good at overall. And I, I just think they have the flexibility, the mentality and the quality now, um, especially you mentioned Ferreira Carrasco, who has had probably the best career of anyone. I think like he, he came out, uh, he, he, I think he came up, came up in Belgium, went to Monaco, made a, a lot of money in Monaco, <laughs> went to Atleti. As, as one does. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> made a lot of money in, in the principality, <laughs> went to Atleti, uh, played for a little while and then went to China and got a massive bag and then came back to Europe. Like that is the dream. <laughs> and he's still like 26. And now like he got to go get the Chinese money and then come back to playing at the highest level. Like that man, he, he has figured his career out perfectly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Simeone has the tools. It's just about whether he can, you know, keep going all the way till the end of the season. All right. This is the show. Uh, thank you so much to both of you. Before we leave, just final thoughts from either one of you on anything, anything that you want to talk about as we look ahead to uh, the continuation of action in January. And of course, the transfer window as well. Jimmy, let's start with you. Yeah, I guess just to kind of stay on the theme that we started with, with Chelsea, I'm just very curious how this whole Frank Lampard situation is going to play out and, you know, how that's going to impact Christian Pulisic in particular, right? Our American Lord and Savior, you know, we need him to get off the couch and tank tops and uh, get on the field and start scoring goals. So, uh, you know, I'm excited to to kind of see what this all, how this all plays out because Chelsea hasn't really shown uh, patience in the past. So will they do it with one of their club legends? Absolutely. Aaron West, uh, what, what's your final take? Dude, I have no football thoughts. I just want to say, like, shout out to Jimmy's wall because I've been like <laughs> working on, uh, I, like, I, we're in an apartment. We don't have like a house yet, but I've been like going through my apartment and trying to figure out like a good backdrop. I've switched it up a little bit, but like every time I see Jimmy film a video, I'm just like, damn, that wall is so good. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. It's a lot just of, beautiful. A lot of love and time into it. A lot of love and time and energy. It's just it. a beautiful wall. Absolutely. Aaron West, Jimmy Conrad. Jimmy, thank you so much, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Aaron, thank you, bud. Thank you for having me, man. CF Los Padres. Nos vemos. Hey, everybody. I want to thank my good man, Jimmy Conrad and Aaron West for joining me today. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Que Golazo Pod. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts and please leave a rating and review. It really helps us to grow the show. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher and any other platform where you listen to your pods. Have a great, great rest of your week.